Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, 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 welcome. You are listening to Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson, and uh, Today we have an amazing show lined up for you. Um, Our guest still is not on deck yet, so hopefully we won't have a glitch there, but we are anticipating him any moment. Um, His name is Brandon Kyle Goodman. Actually, I shouldn't say his. He's um, uh, non-binary, so their their name is Brandon Kyle Goodman. Um, Actor, writer, social justice advocate, and um, they are starring in a stage production called The Latrell Show with the IAMA Theater Company. Um, I watched the show last night. Um, Oh, my God, completely mind-blowing. And um, I will get into that uh, a little bit later. Um, But uh, Brandon is uh, very well-known. Brandon's work can be seen... um, uh, on Netflix, among other places, where he is a writer and voice for the show Big Mouth. Um, it is an animated series, and he had a starring role in the film Feel the Beat. Um, and like I said, he is they are the star of um, the Latrell show. He, they wrote um, and, and star in that uh, one-person show, and it is absolutely amazing. Um, in the meantime, uh, let me bring on my co-host, Brody Levesque, and we'll find out what's going on in the world today. Hey, Brody, how you doing? Hey, Rob. I'm good afternoon, good morning, or good day to our listeners around the globe. We really sincerely appreciate you. Continue to subscribe and listen. Um, this weekend is kind of a somber weekend uh, in Orlando. On Saturday, it will be the fifth anniversary of the mass shooting and the LGBTQ hate crime at the former Pulse nightclub. Um, Yesterday, Florida's uh, two United States senators, Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, along with California Senator uh, Alex Tadia, were able to get through Senate Resolution 265, which, in addition to recognizing the fifth anniversary, Uh, of the massacre and also honoring 49 victims of the shooting inside the building, uh, has now designated the nightclub as a national memorial. That resolution and bill will go to President uh, Joe Biden, who's currently uh, on the road in Europe on a uh, round of meetings and summits, and uh, the White House has assured us that he will sign it as soon as he gets it. Um, I want to read something from our friend Brandon Wolf, who's the development officer and media relations manager for Equality Florida, and more importantly, Brandon is a survivor of Pulse, Um, and this is from Brandon. The tragedy of Pulse rocked our community and served as a reminder of the work we have to do to uproot hate and bigotry. We're proud of the bipartisan coalition of Florida congressional leaders we're leading the efforts to recognize this hallowed ground as a national memorial site. Uh, Brandon was inside the club at the time of the shooting. 
He lost his two best friends, Juan Ramon Guerrero and Christopher Andrew, known as Drew Linneman, who were among the uh, ones that were killed that night. Since Pulse, Brandon has been a force for advocacy and gun control and, of course, LGBTQ equality rights. He's a national recognized leader in gun control rights, uh, including by President Biden, who he's met with several times. Um, this is a, uh, important measure in terms of moving the conversation forward, uh, particularly in Florida. I will, however, note that unfortunately, sadly, last week, Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, vetoed funding for programs from the state budget, which included money that was earmarked for mental health programming and also other support for the survivors of the Pulse massacre along with money to house homeless LGBTQ youth, and, of course, for Orlando's LGBTQ Center, uh, Community Center, which is one of the largest in the state of Florida. Uh, so that's been kind of a, a tragic you know, footnote, if you will, right. uh, to that. Um, so at, at this point, uh, that's uh, kind of where we're at with that. Across the, uh, across the community right now, I just a couple other things I wanted to mention. Uh, we are, of course, still in Pride. Uh, this is Pride Month. Uh, and Pride events are still very much happening across uh, the United States. I highly suggest that you check with your local queer media outlets and mainstream outlets and local organizations uh, to see what's going on. Uh, some Prides are still operating uh, under COVID restrictions. Uh, and obviously, uh, even though we're starting to see the country open up, uh, everyone is uh, being urged to please be careful uh, and just take precautions because the pandemic isn't quite over with uh, yet. Uh, and so we're just kind of urging people to do that. But Pride is happening. This, this is a good thing. We have Pride events going on all over here in Los Angeles. Uh, we've already had one major Pride event. We had a concert over the weekend. Uh, passed at the Los Angeles Coliseum uh, that was headlined by Adam Lambert, frontman for Queen, and that concert went exceptionally well. Uh, there's a number of other events that will be going on in communities across the United States. So we kind of urge you to uh, pick up your local queer media, take a look, go on websites, and uh, enjoy Pride. Okay, so um, we have our guests on, on deck, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to transition us back over over to the main part of our show. Thank you, Brody, for that report. Um, appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. So last night I had the opportunity to watch um, the Latrell Show, which is the uh, stage production by the IAMA Theater Company. It um, stars the writer of the show, Brandon Kyle Goodman, and oh my God, what an experience that was probably. And, and I come from theater, so I'm not saying this lightly, but probably one of the best written uh, pieces of theater I've ever seen and certainly one of the most effective. Um, so we'll, we will give you information on how you can um, take part in it and view it uh, coming up in the show. But uh, in the meantime, I would like to welcome onto the show um, the star writer, Part of the Latrell Show, uh, Brandon Cal Goodwin. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm well. I'm great. 
Um, last night I was sitting in a room in a chair after watching you on stage um, and uh, in tears. And I think we just lost him. Okay. Well, yeah, we well, well, hopefully he'll call oh, right back. There he back. is. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm so sorry. I got disconnected. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what happened? We were having such a good time. <laughs> I know. I know. I, it's like, I, I thought I was giving you this great compliment. I was like, ooh, I guess that didn't go over well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't hear any of it. Will you give it to me again? I love a compliment. I will give it to you again because, oh, my God. Okay, so I saw your show last night. It is a thrill to talk to you. Um, I was absolutely in tears and devastated after the show. Um, I sat quietly kind of crying for a few minutes. Um, and it is, it is, I, now I'm, now I'm, I'm battling. I, I was very eloquent before, <laughs> before we know. Uh, <laughs> thank you so, so much. No, well, thank you just, for watching. And that means so much. Oh my God! It's like everybody should watch it. It's it's. I mean, it is. I mean, the the information around the show. Because um, my first question for you would 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 have been, um, who is the show meant for? But I'm going to answer it for you. That it is yes. <laughs> um, a show for um, Black queer audiences to see themselves, and for mm-hmm. those who are white and non-Black to be put through the experience and you succeeded, you succeeded uh, big time. Um, uh, thank so you. Tell, tell us about the creation of it. How, you know, I mean, I know why, but how did you yeah, yeah. sit down and do it? Well, I've been working on uh, trying to create the show for maybe about three or four years. I knew I wanted to, uh, my mother's a, a solo performer, and so I grew up watching her do solo shows, and so I started doing that when I got old enough. And so the first show that I wrote was about love and relationships and, and being gay and kind of like learning how to fumble through that. And this show, I really wanted it to be about being black and queer and what that experience is in America. And obviously that's a heavier topic than like talking about sex and love. And so I wanted to figure out, well, how can I put an audience through that experience, but also uh, make sure they receive it? And I am a firm believer that comedy is the biggest way to open somebody's heart. Uh, and because I believe when you do comedy and you make somebody laugh, they trust you, and then you can tell them something really heavy and serious and they can receive it. And so that was the whole goal. was like, how do I find a way to talk about this thing that is really intense, but through a lens of comedy first? And I've been playing Latrell for about eight or nine years now um, and doing these, like, random pop-up shows and cabarets and whatever. And then it hit me that he would actually be the perfect character because I think I created Latrell out of my own coping mechanism, which is what you see in the show. You realize that Latrell, you know, plays that similar role. And so it kind of was just art imitating life. It was like, oh, this is – can I take this character that I've been playing and use it – uh, to talk about mental health and black queerness and talk about, you know, representation of black queer people and what it takes to kind of um, live the experience day by day. And I, and so then it, it just went from there. Well, it's the, the production itself. And I, I'm trying not to give too many details because I think there are 
aha moments through the show mm. that 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 I don't want to rob anybody of. You know, I don't want them to watch for it. And I, you know, I want them to experience it for the, themselves. But there, yeah. there, I to me, there were three personas in the show. Um, mm. Which which part of that is you, and which part is dramatic license? I mean, I think I live in all of them, and they all live in me to a certain extent. Um, but, uh, I mean, Jerem- the, the, there's a character, there's another character inside the world, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is probably the closest to me. And a lot of Jeremiah's experiences I took from my life. So a lot of things that he talks about is actually true for myself. Some of it has been you know, doctored, you know, like, you know, there, there are certain stories that I've changed a little bit of, like, the scenario, but it was the same, the same words were said to me, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Jeremiah is probably the closest to me, and I think Latrell is probably who I want to be uh, and many times feel like I have to be, at least the Latrell you meet at the beginning of the show. Um, it's who I'm like, oh, I think that's who I want to be or who I have to be. And that's the reckoning. Like, is that who I want to be or is that who I have to be? Well, the, the point where the show kind of culminates, and this is, now I'm going to ask you from the actor point of view, you yeah. are so emotionally raw. It is mm. astounding. And, I mean, seriously, I have not, seen an acting performance that I felt was so intimate, so to the core and emotional mm. as what I experienced with you last night. I feel like like you were a date or something. I mean, it was like, <laughs> that, it, it felt, it felt that intimate. And, um, and I, and in a way I'm totally blessed in this moment in that, that of all the stage productions and all the things I've been affected by, actors in my entire life. I've never got to sit down with one the next day and go, you know, how are you doing? Um, but <laughs> yeah. the, the, the thing that, that, that astounded me was the depth of emotion and rawness that you were able to get to. And then the thought, oh my God, he has to do this like night after night after night. This is theater. <laughs> how yes. did you get to that core level every night. Well, you know what that what's scary. That was what was scary to me about even attempting to do the show is being like, oh, I have to do this every night or however however many nights a week for however many months the show runs. And then you know when uh, the pandemic hit, the theater company I am the theater company who produced it. You know they decided to shift their season to. Uh, virtual, and so we filmed the show, and so we filmed it in about two days. We broke the show apart and filmed it in two days, and it was almost kind of a, a blessing because I don't know, you know, we're, we're in conversations to hopefully put it up, uh, you know, once theaters are open, but I'm like, oh right. my goodness, what is eight shows a week going to look like? And so there was a safety in the fact that I knew that I would be shooting some of those scenes in just a day, and I would give it all in that day, and then I could, like, put it to rest. Um, 
but what the success of that, I have to say, was the team around me who really kept me safe and who really kept the space safe from through the entire rehearsal process and then, of course, on filming day. Um, you know, you have to have the right people around you to let you go that far without going too far because there is, you know, I think as actors, you want to give everything you have, but we're still a human at the end of it, and the body doesn't know <laughs> that you're acting. Right. I think there is there is a brink that you have to, like, hold on to for safety. And so we had a lot of conversations, a lot, a lot of conversations about what that day would look like, how we would, you know, film it, when we would film it, you know, how many takes we would do. There were a lot of things in place so that, you know, I could go there and go there for the two or three takes that we did and then, like, let it rest. Well, it, it's amazing. And I do want to go – I keep jumping back and forth between your talents because, it, number one, <laughs> your your presentation of it was brilliant, and the acting is absolutely astounding. And then to Thank realize you. that you're also the one who it, – it, I mean, it is a script, and there there yeah. is – um, there is poetry to what you wrote, and there there are images and factors that you bring in. Um, I I am glad that I got to see it on a video because I actually went back and watched the first part again because I wanted to see the the tie-ins of things that were brought out in oh, sure. the beginning of Latrell's show and what what yeah. you know where they were brought in later. So I mean, it is it is an, an extremely well crafted piece, um, you know, you. from from front to end. Um, there's there's no question in there. That's that's, that's just a fact. So, um, but <laughs> I do want I do want to go back to the original um, question in a different way. Of the black queer people who have seen the show, and of the non-black queer people who have seen the show. What have been the reactions that you've gotten and what reactions have impacted you the most? I always say that the ones that hit me the most are from other black queer folks because I know that we don't have representation or enough representation or enough of our stories out there. And I know that holding space for the intersectionality of our identity uh, isn't really out there. You know, a lot of times you're forced to identify with your blackness or your queerness or your womanhood uh, or your manhood, and you're not allowed to exist in the middle of it all. Uh, and so when I hear other black queer people tell me their impact and feeling like they've seen their experience, I, one person wrote to me and said they had never seen their experience so specifically uh, on screen before. And so that was really moving to me because that's anything that I do, whether it's writing this show or writing on Big Mouth or, or you know, performing in this thing or whatever, I want to represent queer folks, black folks, but especially black queer folks, because that's what I craved so much um, growing up. And then from white folks, uh, you know, when, when white people uh, have come to me and honestly had nothing to say, you know, because they don't have, they can't put it together. It's like, okay, well, that was, that was the job. You know, like it's, it's a, it's an emotional, it's like, it's visceral. Um, and so I can feel that. Like I've had a couple conversations with friends and, and it was just kind of not a lot of talking. It was just like holding space with each other. And it's like, I get that. And I, and that's what I wanted you to feel. Um, so those have been impactful. Yeah. It's, 
have you have you gotten um, let's say the the cricket response in other words that where where it hasn't landed that people don't get it oh if the, if that has happened i don't uh, i don't know about it or no one has uh, Good. said it to me <laughs> well i'm not sure that it would honestly i'm not yeah. sure that it would i i have trouble thinking anybody could watch that piece of theater and not feel. I mean, I would definitely take a pulse afterwards if that was the case <laughs> on them. Yeah. Because there's a lot yeah. happening in the show. It'd be, it'd be, I mean, you know, feel something. So you gotta, like, something you got to feel, even if it's upset, you know, uh, which is a reaction. But uh, if somebody said they didn't feel anything, I would be like, wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess, yeah. so, you know, you can't get everybody. So, where do you see yourself as in terms of the uh, of the the artistic side of this? Do you see yourself as an actor who writes or a writer who acts? That's always such a hard question because um, I always say like you know people like usually I'm asked like do you like acting more or writing more um, and I always say I love when I'm I'm the happiest when I get to act in the things that I've written. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm an actor who writes and a writer who acts because I, I started <laughs> acting first and then writing came. So that's why I'm like, oh, I'm an actor who writes. But um, the, as a performer, you can do nothing without the words, you know, right. and that's whether it's your own or somebody else's. Like there's, there's nothing to act if the words aren't there. And so I value that as well, the writer who acts. So I'm going to – I know this is not the best answer, but I'm going to say both. <laughs> No, that well, no, that's the real answer. So, yeah, that and that's fair. Yeah. Um, the reason I ask is um, I've done both, and I. But when I write, I actually like to see my words handed to somebody else, and I like that mm. that added persona of of somebody else bringing in their psyche into the concept and see what it looks like after yeah. that. Sort of like having a baby with someone. Um, sure. But, but seeing this, honestly, um, and I've watched your Instagram videos and, and you know, other <laughs> things that you've done, I have trouble imagining anybody else doing this show but you. Um, how would you feel about that if you saw I, somebody step I, into that role? Yeah, I don't as, – as of right now – I, I wouldn't pass it over, but I do hope that there is a time where I can and where I would. Uh, somebody, so I, I, you know, again, I have an incredible group of people who are around me, my, you know, co-directors, Stephanie Black and David Rogers, and then also my dramaturg, Cherie Davis, and one of my consultants, Lisa Bierman, who are really integral in the script. And one of them said to me, this is going to be important for, like, that kid in drama school who doesn't have a monologue that represents them. And I felt that because I didn't have monologues that I felt represented me in school. Right. You know, it was always a struggle to find, you know, there were a couple, but it was always a struggle to find that monologue that fit me like a glove, whereas my, my classmates, especially my white classmates, it was very easy for them to find, you know, the, the big things that they could really step into. And so for that reason, um, I do hope that I can hand it off because I, I want this um, – language to be available to anybody that uh, can perform it and that it can 
make them feel seen and validated and heard, uh, and they can, yeah, feel themselves uh, represented. So, yeah, one day I hope somebody yeah. will, will put out a trial. No, I, and, and I'm, I'm sure somebody will, um, but it just was – I mean, the show is so intimate you – to, and I don't think I'm giving anything away, and, and maybe this will be a chestnut that people can listen for, but you actually name a character in the show, and I won't say who it is, your name. You gave them your name. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, to me, that was a very um, deep pointed moment that you had done. I mean, it was a meta moment. It was in the, in the yeah. scope of the, the show itself. You know, in that reality, you don't, you know, you don't think, oh, the author gave gave this character my name, but, or his name, yeah. but, um, um, it, it, to me, it was a signal that this, that's how deeply invested you are in every aspect of this experience, which, you know, nobody's yeah. surprised there, but, you know, <laughs> um, so one thing, Brendan, if you could, because we want to make sure this sort of housekeeping part is, is communicated out. How do people watch yeah. this? Where, where do they find it? How do they get involved? Yeah, so wherever you are in the world, you can stream it uh, through IAMA Theater's uh, website, and iamatheater.com, I-A-M-A, theater with an R-E, dot com. As soon as you get to that page, you'll see buy tickets, and you buy the ticket for the week. And so you can watch it anytime during the week that you buy the ticket for, and you have it for 48 hours. So, you know, it's flexible for people because um, I know schedules and things are uh, crazy still and people are getting back to their life. So we try to make it as uh, flexible as possible for everyone. But iamatheater.com is where you can get uh, the ticket until June 27th. Perfect. Now, um, I had heard that there might be a possibility that this is going to be done, and you kind of alluded to it before, um, that you might be doing it live um, now that we're getting semi-post-pandemic. That's my hope. I mean, we, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, finalized or anything yet, but that is – at first I thought I wouldn't because, you know, when you see the show, it's, it's a lot. And so I, at first I thought I wouldn't be able to. But now that I've had some distance from it, uh, and one of my friends said this to me, you know, the more you do it, the more you'll be able to learn how to um, separate it, you know, so that I can really let the performance be the performance and let me be me. Uh, and so the more space I have from, you know, we shot this in April, the more I'm like, oh, I think I could, I want to feel it with an audience. Because I've also never done it with an audience. That's the crazy thing. Right. Um, you know, I've never experienced doing the show from beginning to end with, a, with an audience. So hopefully that will happen. Um, but we're, we're, we're putting the feelers out there to see what, where the right place might be. Because also I'm sure, as you can imagine, you need the right home for something like this. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, this this would <laughs> this would not be great in the Pentagus with you know this little speck down on the stage. And, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah, that that would yeah. be tough. That would be tough. Yeah, yeah. that would um, be very and, tough. <laughs> I I have to say it's like it the watching it alone and you know the intimacy of that was was pretty pronounced. But I also was just as an audience member, I was kind of curious what it would feel like in with other people, um, you know, experiencing it the same, same way um, at at the same time. And and that, that whole theatrical thing. 
So I, I do think it would be important to see that group, uh, group, yeah. um, think group environment reaction to it, um, which, which would be super cool. So, okay, yeah. so I have a super bizarre question. I'm hoping that oh, in please. all your many interviews done across everything else that um, uh, you've never been asked this question before. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think I saw a hint that you, one of your guilty pleasures is um, the Real Housewives franchise. Oh yes, it is. Oh yes, it mine is. too. Oh my God! <laughs> I've never. Which franchise? What, what, what are cities? <laughs> okay, I'm working my way through. I, I got introduced through the Beverly Hills one. Um, I had okay. to check out New York and and went through all the New York ones because I love yes. New York City. And then I went back to Orange County because I wanted to see where it started, and I'm sure. caught up in those. Yeah. Which which ones have you yes. watched? Well, I like to make sure everyone knows that I've been there from the very beginning of New York and New Jersey uh, and Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta is my favorite city. New York is also one of my faves. Uh, and then obviously Jersey is great. I've been in and out of Jersey the last couple of seasons. Uh, and then Potomac is a new winner for me. Um, love the Potomac ladies. And I also like really kind of enjoy the Salt Lake City ladies and Beverly Hills, obviously. Like they're crushing it. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and and I've done I did uh, Salt Lake City too because you know they they introduced that one as as I had started coming on board and it was like wow what a treat to actually watch <laughs> watch the show as it almost was happening you know type thing yeah so, so I got involved there so here's here's my serious question behind that okay. setting the stage. Um, you know, it's, a lot of your work is, you know, exposing privilege and, and, and talking about societal norms and everything else. And sure. one of the things I've been finding, especially, like I said, I've been watching the Orange County one. Um, and, you know, going back 10, 12, you know, how many years when it started. And uh-huh. I am just shocked at what I don't find acceptable anymore looking sure. back just that short period of time. What, what was your experience of this decadent privilege society that these shows present and the challenges we're having across the country with equality and, you know, oppression and um, all of those issues? What, to me, those are yeah. sort of bookends of a whole spectrum. What are, what are your thoughts? That's really uh, – that's a great question. I haven't gotten that before because I'm always like – my friends and I are like, you know, we love to cheeky about the housewives, but I'm also always like, but if you needed me to do a dissertation about the problematic areas of housewives, I could also do yeah. that. Um, so, <laughs> so we can hold space for both those things. You know, Orange County franchise has always been a little more challenging for me, and I've never really gotten into it because I, I, I don't know, their privilege – not that, I mean, all of them are privileged, but the way that that group has uh, presented themselves on TV has not always sat well with me for whatever reason, and I, I can't grip into it. Um, but I think it's a couple called things. Republicans, I think, Brandon. It's called Republicans. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's what it is. There it is. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, I like my liberal housewives. Um, right. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I think that you bring up a good point, which is that there is that dichotomy of like, here is this expansive wealth that we're all kind of obsessed with, this like display of capitalism. And we also, when the shows started, weren't really holding um, the cast accountable for what they were saying or how they were saying it. Um, as seasons have gone on and social media has started to play a role in it, I think there's this place where we hold space for the fact that they're just, you know, um, I know they're not actors, but they're kind of like actors. And there is this, like, thing where you're right. like, you guys are, a lot of them I feel like are keeping up with the Joneses. I'm like, I don't actually know if you own that house. I don't know if you actually better that. So there's, there's a little more, uh, like, I don't know if you guys are the privileged ones. Uh, and also, you are, they are a privilege, but it's like, at what cost? I think that's part of the, right. the drama. Like, you look at Beverly Hills' uh, Erica Jane, where you're like, you know, there, she's a privilege. And now we hear that, like, her husband has been embezzling all this stuff. And you're like, right. see, like, at what cost? Like, that's kind of fucked up. Not kind of, but it's very fucked up. Um, I'm not really giving you a direct answer, other than I think that uh, I think that when the wives use their platform to – uh, highlight the discrepancies and to help with social justice movements, I really appreciate that because they do have that platform and they do have that privilege, and we are watching. I also appreciate the escapism of it. You know, for me, the, right, the lives are right. very much a space where I can shut down my brain and watch these ladies yell about shit that don't matter. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, exactly. You know, it's like, it's like, that don't matter at the end of the day. So, so there is, I appreciate that entertainment. Uh, and I guess, yeah. you know, from my lens, I don't see them as real. <laughs> I see them as like, they're in their scenes. They're, they're playing their parts. Right. Um, right. And as long as when they're playing those parts, they recognize the impact that they do have, you know, and, and their, their power. Um, I think Ramona the other day on camera uh, in New York called uh, the wait staff her help. And Ebony, exactly. who was the, the first yeah. black housewife on New York, told her to task. And I appreciated that. Like, I loved seeing that. Uh, and I think as the housewives diversify themselves even more, you know, we have Garcelle and Crystal and Beverly Hills, which is important. Ebony on New York is important. I'm, I'm feeling like the franchise is starting to catch up uh, to holding you know, the Sonia Morgan's accountable <laughs> for their, you know, yeah, their yeah, exactly. And there were conversations on the Beverly Hills one where, um, and I'm going to forget her name. The, she's the new housewife this season. Um, and she's um, Asian American. Crystal and Sutton. Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. The Crystal and Sutton conversation, you know, yes, where which it's, is important to see. Yeah. It's like the, the, um, I, and the, um, there was a conversation with uh, Kyle and Giselle as well of, mm-hmm. of Garcelle, where yeah. it was, or Garcelle, sorry. It was brought out, you know, it's like, well, oh, I didn't mean that at all. It's like, well, that's because you're not a person of color. You, it doesn't yeah. mean that to you. You know, and I just, it was, that part I thought was very refreshing um, that the conversation was being had. I, I just, you know, yeah. I, I'm like you. It's like, I love, I love the shows, their escapism, um, and there are a lot of levels where I think there, there are statements being made, not just um, of um, the economic um, divide of the country, you know, the racial and ethnic divide of the country, 
but also um, the <laughs> sobriety and and sanity divide of the country. Yeah, uh, let's face yes. it. If alcohol wasn't part of it, there there probably would be none of those shows. There would um, be no drama. But, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, they all sit down and go, go I drink. see your point. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. right? They have therapeutic yeah. conversations, which wouldn't be as entertaining. Right. But, you know, I also think, like, I, you know, the first franchises that I watched were Atlanta and New York. And for me, I still love Atlanta because I just love seeing these black women in wealth. You know, that's, you know, right. Potomac and Atlanta, we don't have those images. And so I love seeing these black women in wealth and living their lives. And, you know, and, and they also get to be messy and, and, and full people like the other franchises, although they do get a bit more scrutiny around it. And then, you know, with, with New York, Bethany, did you watch season one of New York? I did. Yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, so I'm Bethany was not a billionaire. Yeah. Right. right. So Bethany was not a billionaire. She was like, you know, she was, she was us. <laughs> so I like, so those shows I started to connect to them because, and I was actually hesitant about Beverly Hills and Orange County because of that much privilege and because they were fully white cast. And so when they added Garcelle and they've added Crystal and all these other people, it's been uh, exciting to see more nuanced conversations happen and to see the privilege being uh, taken to task, you know, and, and being held accountable, especially as the country and the world moves in uh, uh, having, having that reckoning as well. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. And, and the reason I started in Orange County is because, well, first of all, a lot of my family uh, comes from there. So it's an environment I know, but it's also an environment that I've worked to almost fight against, if you will. I mean, in terms of one of the things that, that you've talked about in, in all your podcasts and everything else is, you know, systemic racism. And um, mm-hmm. that's, I kind of, I kind of want to see it. I mean, I want to go back and look um, in, in the, the decades past and, and see it and call it out because it's, yeah. it's not that I wasn't aware that it was there. It was that it, it like homophobia becomes so part of the fabric. Um, yeah. It's one thing, and I'm, I'm jumping around here, but as, as an, an older LGBT person back in the day, we accepted so much homophobic stuff as, as okay. I mean, there were things that yeah. it was like if it if it wasn't beating us up, but it was homophobic in that kind of condescending way. We accepted it because it was better than yeah. what we had had before. And so yeah. I think you know, looking at a lot of the things that um, I I just think it's important that we don't look at systemic racism as something new. You know, um, yeah, and, and not if you, you know, yeah. So anyway, so you and, and, what are you? Well, actually, I wanted to know your thoughts. <laughs> oh, I mean, yes. I mean, it's it's not new and it's always been there, but it has been something that obviously has been accepted and people have blind. White people have been blind to it, and I think for uh, you know us as you know people of color, black people, um, or queer people, we just kind of we're fighting for our lives, so we're not really as worried about the representation, although you can argue that those two things are obviously interlinked. But we're so focused on our life, you know, and we're just like, please don't make, you know, just don't, don't say the N-word. Like, that, that's the bar, right? 
And now right. it's like, but we get to demand more. You know, it's like, yeah, please don't call us a faggot. But now we get to demand more of what our representation looks like and, uh, and what our stories are on screen. But, yes, if you go all the way back, I know there was a, recently a, a big show had a reunion, and I saw uh, one of the comments on social media about it was that they didn't talk about any of the homophobic or transphobic jokes that were riddled throughout the series. And it's like, yeah, it existed. Right. It, it had, like, this, the, these harmful things have existed as jokes, as comedy. Um, we can't undo it. You know, we can't, like, go back and be like, well, let's erase that. But we can learn from it, and we can say, oh, that, that's wrong, and this is why it's wrong, and so let's not perpetuate that uh, in the present day. You know, and I think that's the right. important thing. It's like, oh, this is how this existed. This is, you know, and, and why is it that those homophobic and transphobic and racist jokes got to exist? Because black people weren't in the room. Queer people weren't in the room to create those right. shows. You know, there was no one asking for our opinions and our stories. We were thought to be the butt of the joke. And so now we're undoing that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not new, which is also, again, why, like, you know, the last year of Reckoning was especially challenging in terms of the Black Lives Matter because I did have a lot of white people say, I didn't know. I didn't know this was your experience. And part of me was upset because it's like, what are you talking about? Like, we – we've been like, what do you say? Like there's a headline every fucking day, you know, like we right. are wrestling with this all right. the time. And then the other part of me was like, wow, I must be, and we as black people must be really good actors because we are able to compose ourselves in the middle of this war that we have been experiencing this entire time. And our friends or our colleagues had no idea. Like what level of, um, again, mental aerobics, right, does it take to take in all these headlines and take in all the underhanded comments, the microaggressions, the macroaggressions, and still show up fully and still show up to do your job and still, you know, show up and, and keep your responsibilities on track and still graduate from school and still blah, 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 blah all the things, like to still do that right. and, and allow people to think that nothing is affecting you. That's that's intense. That's, um, well, that's right. some deep let me, shit. Let me jump in here real quick, if it's okay, Brandon. Um, yeah. One of, the things that, one of the things that, you know, I've noticed in the 45-plus years that I've been a political reporter is that there is a sense of erasure and a sense of invisibility. For example, yeah. uh, two weeks ago, President Biden traveled to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to mark the 100th anniversary of one of the most horrific crimes against the black community in the United yep. States. And that, of course, yep. was the Tulsa Massacre. Throughout the yep. entire time period of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, even moving into present day with the Black Lives Matters movement, there has not been a sense of acknowledgement because it just simply isn't there. You know, you kind yeah. of, in your own way, just use the word without using it. And that's the sense of you know, stoicism, and it's because in many ways, you know, I, and I can take it back uh, to, uh, you remember that uh, really famous Billie Holiday song, Strange Fruit? Mm -hmm. Yep. And so what's happening is, is there is a, chiefly what I would consider a disconnect, if you will, uh, in the experiences between black Americans, white Americans, and Asian Americans, that has become more pronounced in many ways. But I think at the same time, what's also happened is now suddenly with the 
really, quite frankly, the social media and the younger generations with Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, we're starting to see these stories starting to appear. They're starting to evolve. They're starting to get spread. You know, um, Mm -hmm. stories that are being told, you know, and and again, this is tangential to it, um, and and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this to our audience. Um, Brandon is a, a MacArthur Foundation Genius Grant Award recipient. He has also produced many plays, including an Obie Award-winning play, which will open up uh, on June 18th for our good friends at the Fountain Theater in Los Angeles. It's uh, called uh, The Octa Room, and it plays until the uh, beginning of September. You folks need to go see it. And the reason I'm pushing this is not just because I'm going to sit there and sell your play for you, but I want people to understand that you have a rather wide-ranging portfolio besides, you know, as a black queer man, or a black queer person, rather, I should say, you know, in, in terms of getting social justice and messaging out there. And I see you as trying to overcome what I just said in terms of that erasure and that visibility issue. You know, Rob and I have had numerous conversations uh, over the years about LGBTQI erasure. You know, as recently as the COVID-19 pandemic, we had a problem because we could not get the state of California to give us the data metrics we needed to find out how it affected our own community. And we're still having that problem. So um, with that said, I'll throw it back at Rob. But that's just kind of something that I did want to say, Brennan, because I thought it was kind of important to point that out. Yes. I will also just say, you know, the, uh, the I think the Brandon you're talking about is Brandon Jinks. Is that his last name? Yeah, Brandon uh, Jinks. Yes, and I'm Brandon Kyle Goodman. You're Brandon Kyle, right. No, I just I always get you guys confused. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> yes, uh, you guys, I was like, I do not have an OB. <laughs> oh my well, yeah, God. Yeah, you no, I just I do get confused sadly because I get buried under information. It's just that you guys' voices are so powerful and so needed in the community. And, you know, what you do and what he does that, you know, I just want to jump in and say they need to be listened to. Listen to them. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to their story. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. I'm a fan of his. No, but that's very true. I mean, uh, yes. So, uh, old man disease. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank you, Brody. Um, um, no, I, I, I love what you brought up about friends. So, you know, and that is one of the things about looking back is a lot of these shows, because Friends was one at the time when it came out, mm-hmm. came across as one of the most pro-gay shows on TV. And mm-hmm. even like Will and Grace, how Will and Grace survived was – they were gay, but they told the most homophobic jokes you could find. And, yes. you know, it's like, it's sort of <laughs> yes. like that, you know, that, 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 that is, is how we kind of shimmied in was by, you know, carrying the negativity and pushing the dime forward every time with that. I mean, it's sort of a bizarre situation. Um, but what, I want to go back to your show though. the, one thing that I took from it, that, or, or probably the main thing I took from it, because there was nothing new information-wise, but the thing that I walked away from about your experience was this is his every single fucking day. Every yeah. day he has to face this shit. 
And yeah. that is what made me cry. Yeah. And to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's what I wanted to uh, – I mean, that's why the show has been challenging because even, like, seeing it on paper, that that is what I go through and that's what, I, you know, what my friends go through and my family goes through uh, is really devastating. Uh, and that's what I wanted – that's why I wanted to put the show out because I wanted people to feel it. I wanted white people and non-black people to, to really feel what that experience is um, because it's – it's it's wild, honestly, and kind of it's it's not it's not funny, but it's that's what we do, right? We take this trauma and we make it funny because it's the only way to cope. Uh, and I think that's what the Troll Show is, right? It takes these things that are quite painful and makes it humorous because that's how, that's the only way Latrell, that's the only way that I can uh, cope, can keep moving forward. Because if I were to really sit down and acknowledge the uh, reality in its entirety. Uh, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I could move forward, you know? You know, there, there's yeah. always this fear um, in terms of uh, when people say, well, uh, when, white, when white people go, uh, you know, they're trying to replace us, they're going to take us out, we're going to lose our power, okay. they're going to retaliate, all that stuff. And it's like, if black people tapped into the fullness of our rage, right, into the fullness of it. If you really were to stop and think about slave ships landing in this country and what had happened to our ancestors, if we were to really tap into that, yeah, I think everyone should be nervous, right? But we're not doing that for our safety and for, for, our, for our personal safety. Fuck everybody else, but for our personal safety, right. no human should have to bear that full weight, right? No human should have to think about all of that and live with that because you can't move forward. And what we're trying to do is move forward and build a better life and build equity and equality and inclusion, real equity, you know? And in order to do that, we have to hold our ancestors with us, but not necessarily able to tap into the bottom of that rage. There's rage, fight. right? There's right. rage, but the fullness of it, 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 it would, it would stop anybody. You know, it's not, it's not a fair request for somebody to hold no, all of that yeah, rage yeah. and to tap into that. Yeah. And yeah, no, I get that. And there's so much more that is happening right now. And I don't mean like this has just happened, but I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are things that are a result of the systems now that, 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 and I can't speak to it because it's not my experience. I mean, you have mm-hmm. every, you have the voice on what the effect of the history is on you today and your feelings. But for me, in terms of just trying to be, do anti-racism racism work, I'm looking at things like the fact that our country is lopsided in terms of <laughs> urban voices versus rural voices. Rural voices uh-huh. being more white-based, spread out, they have geography, but these urban bases where a lot of the people of color communities physically are located have mm-hmm. less representation in the government. I yeah. mean, that is a system breakdown. You know, yeah. it's, 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 you know, those are the things, and those are the things that are going to affect the future. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, we're still in the phase where, you know, the first, this is the first black person to hold this position, the first queer person to hold, like, like we're at the beginning, you know, we're not right. like, and that's why, you know, last summer where people were like, okay, I read my, I read White Fragility, I'm good. It's like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, this is, I don't know if we're going to, what we need to experience in this country and in this world, I don't think I'm going to experience in my lifetime. You know, there's just, there's so much damage and there's so much healing that has to happen. Uh, and if we are just now getting to the first this and the first that and the first black person to do this, like we got, because opportunities haven't been there. The space hasn't been there. Right. The, um, you know, it's, it's, we've been outside of the room. I mean, even just like to take it to a microcosm of Hollywood, you know, I'm often the only black person in a room or one of two black writers in a room, let alone maybe usually the only black queer writer in a space or the black queer actor on a set. I'm still like, that's like, I, you know, I, I did a film last year where I was the only, you know, sometimes the only black person on the set, you know what I'm saying? So it, it right. We have a long way to go before, um, there's real inclusion, and so the work has to continue. People still have to be exposing themselves to different books and different shows and, and be getting curious about other people's experiences. And also, if you have power, uh, it's okay to move aside. You know, it's okay to step down and say, you know what, like, I don't need this. This needs to go to, you know, somebody of color. This needs to go to a queer person. This needs to go to a woman. Uh, those are bold moves. I've said this before. The the thing that stands in our way, really, is people not wanting to give up their quote-unquote power, really wanting to hold on right. to, to their, their titles, um, really wanting to hold on. I mean, this is also, we think about, like, you know, how billionaires got richer over the pandemic. It's like, how? Like, how do we have poverty when Jeff Bezos has made the most money ever? Like, that doesn't make sense. How right. do you fix that? Oh, you have to be willing to let go of some of your power, some of your coins, some of your money. Uh, but people don't want to do that. But that's all right, because those of us on the ground fighting will continue to fight and continue to push. Yeah, the and, and, and let's hope that the paradigm shifts because a lot of times paradigms do go quickly. Um, they haven't mm-hmm. in this case, you know, and, but if we fight for it, um, we can, we can hopefully make that happen. Cause this is in the last few yeah. years. I mean, Trump, Trump did, did a good and a bad thing. One thing is he gave um, white supremacy a voice and a permission to be vocal. He didn't create Terrifying. it. It was yeah. there. But he yeah, let it out. There. But yeah. the good thing he did was he also unleashed the reaction to that. And yes. that has been unprecedented in the last few years as well. And that's where if we fuel that fire and, and fight harder, we can make that the thing that lasts. That's my yeah. And that's my hope is that people don't forget what those last four years were like and what it unleashed on our country, um, and that we we hold that in, our, in the front of our mind that we remember that when you start to get you know I, I admitted this in this last election that like you know I voted for Obama and I was good and I like didn't think about anything political after that that was my relationship to politics that was my relationship to politics and. Some people, and this is for everyone listening, you know, some people have political brains. And so it's like no one's asking you to know every single bullet on uh, a proposed act. But know what's going on in your city. Know what's going on in the country. You know, like follow the accounts that 
maybe spoon feed it a little more, but know what's happening so that you can have a voice in what's going on in the world so we can really push change because the passiveness is also what gets us here. There are a lot of quote unquote good people, but if you're passive and you're not curious about well, what's happening to my black neighbor over there, what's happening to my trans neighbor over there, what's happening to my, you know, my, my poor neighbor over there, if we're not curious about how we can all use our own privileges to support others, uh, and what's going on outside of ourselves and outside of our homes, we're going to repeat the same shit in a few years. Uh, that that doesn't need to happen. You just got to hold on to each other and hold on to yeah, no, that totally love agree. and curiosity. Brandon, I, I want you to say a few words about your own podcast, by the way, because I want to give them a shout-out. How are yeah. those going? They're great. So I have uh, a couple. One is Black Folks, which you can listen to season one, anywhere you get your, your podcast, and folks is spelled F-O-L-X. And that's where I had these one-on-one conversations with different black people, uh, and I asked them a question, like, uh, some of it is, like, who, is your, who would be your ideal celebrity mother, uh, whether it's Whoopi Goldberg or Jennifer Lewis, and sometimes it's, you know, when's the first time you were followed in a store? And it leads us into these really um, beautiful conversations that I wanted to have without uh, whiteness being involved. So without having, because when black, me and my black friends are together, it's a very different experience and we get to be our full yeah. selves. And so that's why I wanted to create this podcast to have these full conversations so that black people could feel seen uh, and to know that we're not a monolith. And so that white people listening also know black people are not a monolith. Our experiences vary, right. um, but then there are also some parts where they are very similar. Uh, and those are usually, and sometimes where they're similar is very unfortunate why they're similar. Uh, and then there's Do the Work, which is exactly what it is. It's an anti-racism podcast that I do with Sony, um, and that is where we bring uh, different uh, rela- uh, couples. Sometimes they're romantic. Sometimes they're friends. Uh, sometimes it's a mother and a son who have had uh, kind of a, a racist moment that happened between them, uh, and we help break down why that moment was racist and facilitate a conversation between them for some healing. Most of the time it works out. Perfect. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's a great way to, to learn how to have these really challenging conversations. Um, and Brandon, and right i got to cut you off. Oh, yeah. oh, good. We're, 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 <laughs> we're right. at the end of our time. We're literally seconds away. I want to thank you so Gorgeous. much for everything you do. You are fantastic. You. The show um, is the Latrell Show. You guys need to check it out. Um, I want to yes. thank everybody for listening today. We will be back again next week with more Rated LGBT Radio. Um, check out Brandon's uh, podcast. Um, and, and if you're white, you actually need to listen to the Black Folks podcast. Absolutely. It is important. And you need to see the Thank show. You. you need to experience it. You need to breathe it all in. And um, for Brody and myself, uh, for Rated LGBT Radio, we want to thank you for listening. Tune in again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.